because of Mother's Day and baby dedication, it's interesting because what I talk about today will be a little bit appropriate for that. Because we're going to talk about good habits, kind of like keystone habits. And, and for many, it was your mother who instilled those kind of habits in you to do the right thing. But we're also going to talk about something in line with the whole baby thing. We're going to talk about baby steps. Now, some of you, when I say that, it means absolutely nothing to you. And some of you now, all you can think of is Bill Murray when I say baby steps. We're talking today about little by little. We're literally talking about baby steps today. So to get it, kind of get you in the, the, the mood to make sure we're all on the same page, I'd like you to watch this brief video clip. Um, there is a groundbreaking new book that has just come out. Ah. Now, not everything in this book, of course, applies to you, but I'm sure that you can see when you see the title exactly how it could help. Baby steps? It means setting small, reasonable goals for yourself, one day at a time. One tiny step at a time. Baby steps? For instance, um, when you leave this office, don't think about everything you have to do in order to get out of the building. Just think of what you must do to get out of this room. And when you get to the hall, deal with that hall, and so forth. You see? Baby steps. Baby steps. Oh, boy. Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps through the office. Baby steps out the door. It works. It works. All I have to do is take one little step at a time, and I can do anything. Hmm. Baby step around the office. <laughs> Baby step around the office. That should give you a lot to digest while I'm on vacation. V vacation? Hey, see a show of hands. How many of you have seen What About Bob? We've watched, we have watched in a long time, and we thought we had it. Kind of ripped the house apart looking for it. We did find a lot of old movies that we've watched this week, but we couldn't find that. So I found it on Amazon for five bucks, had it delivered prime free in two days, and we watched it, and we laughed so hard. So I have it if you need to borrow it. I have it. Um, that's actually what we're going to talk about today. Not, not the movie, okay? Change gears here. We're going to talk about little by little. We're going to talk about baby steps. We're in a series on you in five years. Who do you want to be? Who does God want you to be five years from now? We had um, uh, a number of years ago, we, had a, uh, we like to give things away, and we had these little, um, they were little notebook kind of things made out of plastic with a, a notepad inside and a little pen, collapsible pen that slid in there. Um, Cammy and Joey bought those uh, for us. They had them personalized so that we could pass them out, and we gave hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them away. But on the cover, um, along with our name, Journey in Our Church, it also said this, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And so we take small steps. That's what we're going to talk about. But we don't just take one small step. We take small steps and then we keep going. And eventually, you've made it your thousand miles. 
Although that's a double-edged sword. Because if you take small steps in the wrong direction, and you say, I'm not doing anything too bad right now, I'm just taking little steps, but they're in the wrong direction. You know what happens eventually? You end up 2,000 miles away from where you really want to be. And it just all happens with these small steps. And for us, we're going to look at five years. But the illustration that I'm going to use today, the example from Scripture that I'm going to use, is um, a series of small steps, a series of little by little, but it didn't stretch out over five years. It stretched out over half a millennia. That's 500 and some years. That's a long time to wait. This is a story about Abraham and Sarah. And we all, you know, you hear the name Abraham, you know, and, and we get that. When he's way back when, before he was anybody who anybody knew, God made a promise to him, to Abraham and Sarah. And God said, you know what? There's going to be some amazing things happen in and through you and because of you. I am going to, God literally said, I'm going to bless the entire world through you. He said, I am going to give you a, a land as your inheritance, cities you didn't build, you know, chariots you didn't build. I'm going to give you this amazing stuff into this amazing land. And I am going to have that for your descendants who will number as much as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. What an amazing promise. The problem was it wasn't happening. Abraham and Sarah kept getting older and no kids coming along. But they stuck with it they, you can interpret that any way you want. <laughs> they stuck with it, kept trying. And they had faith. The Bible tells us how much faith they had. And I think it's just fascinating because God could have done that early on when they were young. So they could have had all these kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and everything would have been great. But it says the Bible waited till his body, Abraham's body, and here's how the Bible describes it, was as good as dead. And you can take that any way that you want. Romans 4 says that. Hebrews 11 says that. And by the way, if you're wondering, your body is good as dead, that's not a compliment. Somebody says, hey, hey, how's your body? Ooh, it's good as dead. <laughs> Doesn't happen. I have never, ever seen... I've married a number of couples who, who met like eHarmony, you know? I have never seen an eHarmony profile that said, hi, my name's George. I'm in sales. I love traveling. I golf a little. My body's as good as dead. Call me for a good time. You know, that, that doesn't happen. But that's where we find Abraham. He's a hundred years old. His body is as good as dead, and yet God made this promise. He said, this is what your future is going to be. And he had faith, and lo and behold, Isaac comes along. After everybody had given up hope, her body was as good as dead too. Everybody had given up hope except them, and God had plans. And Isaac comes along. Then Isaac, and there's other kids involved here, but Isaac has Jacob. So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. Jacob has his name changed eventually to Israel. And his 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel who, who eventually, the, as the sand of the seashore or, or the stars in the sky. But before they were the 12 tribes, they were just the sons, Jacob's sons. And they... Um, the, the brothers, the, you know, these 12 sons, um, you can imagine 12 boys in the house. We had three. Um, my mom wanted three girls. And she had three sons. And after the third one, she said, I quit. I, I just I give up. And we knew how to get into trouble. 
And I, for whatever reason, as the middle one, I was one that was always picked on, but nothing like in this family. In this family, the older ones took the youngest one and threw him in a pit and took his jacket that the dad had given him that was a special jacket and killed an animal and got blood all over the jacket, told the dad that the son was killed by animals and sold him into slavery to Egypt. And I think, we did some bad things, (laughs) but nothing like that. But you see, Joseph says many years later, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And he understood that. And he went literally from a prison to a palace. And he started um, working his way up. You know, there was a few things that happened, and Joseph ended up going from this literally in the prison to he ended up being the second most powerful man in Egypt. And under him, all of these amazing things were happening happening economically, and they had all this provision, and they were storing it away, and they just kept storing it away. And lo and behold, there's a huge famine in the land. Whole cities and countries are starving to death in this area. But Joseph has stuff stored up for years in Egypt. And through this amazing series of miracles you can read in in Genesis and Exodus, um, what happens is um, Joseph is able to bring his family, these other sons, the ones who sold him into slavery, he's able to, because he's forgiven them, bring them in with the dead, and and they come into Egypt as this little ragtag band of people with their spouses and and kids and, and just small beginnings. But when they get in there, um, things change, and it says there arose a king who didn't know Joseph. And over the course of 400 years, they went from being this group that came in under Joseph, who was the second most powerful person in Egypt, to slaves of Egypt. And they were there for 400 years in slavery. They couldn't escape. They couldn't do anything. They had no rights. They, they, were, they could only had what they were given. And um, horrible situation. You, you know most of the story. And there came a point in time where God says, it's time. He remembers his promises. He knows what he had said to Abraham those many years ago. And he said, it's time. And he raises up Moses, who has this little brief 40-year stint in the wilderness because he wasn't doing quite the right thing. But Moses then comes ready to be the one that's going to free these people from tyranny, from slavery in Egypt. And if you remember the, the plagues, God sends these plagues, and, and each one is worse than the next. And by the time they get to the last plague and the firstborn dies, um, Egypt doesn't just say, you can go. They're like, get out of here. Go. And they're handing them all their stuff. And they walk out of Egypt. They went from slaves to they walked out of Egypt with more than their hands could carry as, as a rich young nation. Um, but they quickly change their mind. Egypt quickly changes their mind and chases after them. And God starts this, this bigger series of miracles for them. And they, they see the, the Red Sea parted. And they walk across, the entire nation walks across on dry land. And they're on the other bank as the, as the Egyptian army is coming after them, thinking, what are we going to do? We can't fight. We're a bunch of slaves. And God closes up the Red Sea and the Egyptian army dies. And they see miracle after miracle after miracle. Amazing things happen. And then we come to the point in the story where they're poised at the entrance. They can see the promised land. 
And they're ready to take and step into the promised land. And they're surveying this amazing land, this fruitful land. And they're also seeing the amazing cities. And they're seeing, you know, they got all these cities. They got these chariots. They got these horses. And they got vast armies. And they're standing at the door to the promised land, looking at these armies. And here's what it says in Deuteronomy 7, starting in verse 17. Perhaps you will think to yourselves, how can we ever conquer these nations that are so much more powerful than we are? They see what they're supposed to have, and they say, how can we ever do that? that you know what that is? That's self-talk. And we're going to talk about that in a couple minutes. In verse 18, however, they are told, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of them. You see their armies. Don't be afraid of them. Just remember. And if you're taking notes, circle that word remember. Remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh, to all the land of Egypt. Remember what he did for you. We finished a series a few months ago called Moving Past Your Past and how it's very important that there are some things that we need to move past from in our past. They are, they are best left there, they are best moved on from, they are best forgotten, but there are some things that we need to remember. Not the wrong things, but we need to remember how God has provided and protected and paved the way for us so many times. He doesn't want us to live in fear. He is for us. A couple verses later, verse 21, it says this, No, do not be afraid of those nations. For the Lord your God is among you. He's a great and awesome God. It's like, you don't need to be afraid. God's with you. And by the way, he's telling you the same thing today. You may have some idea as we're working through this whole idea of you in five years. Who do you want to be in five years? What could you be in five years? And it's easy to get kind of sidetracked with that a little bit and be afraid and say, that can never happen. And God's saying to you, don't be afraid. God's among you. And in fact, the same great and awesome God that did all those miracles to get them out of Egypt, to get them through the Red Sea, to get them into the Promised Land, the same God that did all those miracles is right here with you today and wants you to to be something in five years that he has called you to be. It's, It's huge. In verse 22, it says this, The Lord your God will drive those nations out ahead of you. Now, if we stop right there, it's pretty exciting. Because we'd be saying that to you. You know, whatever God is calling you to do and be in five years, it's going to be great. It's like, boom, there you are. But that's not what he says. He's going to drive those nations out ahead little by little. You will not clear them away all at once. Otherwise, the wild animals would multiply too quickly for you. And I remember reading that, it's like, what? (laughs) I'm not really sure what that means. (laughs) See, little by little, little by little, kind of like baby steps, it means not all at once. God says, you're going to have this, but it's not going to happen all at once. There are many reasons for this, and in this passage, he gives one that I think needs a little bit more explanation. So wild animals would multiply too quickly. And I read that, it's like, okay... I'm not sure why that's a problem, but here's an account, account of the same thing from the book of Exodus. Just looking at it, different time frame, different perspective, but same events. He says, God says, I will send my terror ahead of you. I'm going to throw into confusion every nation you 
excuse me, you encounter. I'm going to take a drink and I'm going to move this aside. <laughs> he said, I will send my terror ahead of you. Throw into confusion every nation you encounter, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. Now that's exciting. He's going to send this terror ahead, and God's going to go ahead. He's going to prepare the way. And in verse 28, it says, I will send the hornet ahead of you. It's like, ooh. You know what that means? Pretty much nobody does. (laughs) The the Hebrew scholars like, really don't know what that means. (laughs) I'm going to send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites out of your way. It could literally just be, Another way of saying the terror from the verse before, it could also be literally, I'm going to send hornets. Hornets are bad if you send enough of them. And, it can, and he got actually used hornets to drive some of the enemies away. I remember the first time I read this as a kid, I thought, see, when I was a kid, AMC had a car. It was called the AMC Hornet. It was ugly. I'm sorry. If any of you have that... AMC had a car called the Hornet. It was a very unique-looking car. Um, And I always thought as a kid, why would God send a Hornet? Why not like a Camaro, you know, (laughs) or something like that? But the the point was, he's sending ahead to to drive these armies out, and he's going to go ahead and pave the way for them. But verse 29 says again, but I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and again here we go the wild animals would be too numerous for you there it is again so here's what needed to happen here's why he's saying that in Exodus 23 now verse 30 little by little that's how God was going to do this little by little I will drive them out before you and here's the key until you have increased enough to take possession of the land See, it wasn't that God wasn't ready. It wasn't that God could have done it all at once. It was that they weren't ready. They needed to increase, not only in maturity, but in number. You see, they're looking at these lands with all these cities they're going to possess they didn't build. All these chariots, you know, they don't even have a loan on any of these, and they're going to get to take them all over. But it is so numerous, and they are not. They are not ready for it yet that it says the wild animals could just come and take it over. See, right now, God was actually using the enemies to keep their stuff good. He was was watching over what would eventually become theirs. Um, They needed to increase. And, And the same thing is true with you. You are not going to reach the dream that God gave you. You are not going to um, those, reach those future plateaus and heights that he's calling you to right away either. Because you have to grow first. So do I. The, the, the me in five years is not, the me today is not ready for that. It has to happen little by little. And I have to grow little by little into that. Baby steps. We're taking the steps that help us stretch and grow. Then in five years, the future you that God wants you to be will be more than you could ever dream of today. Does that make sense? But we have to take the first steps, and then we have to keep at it. Remember last week? 
We talked about Newton's um, first law of motion. If you didn't hear it, it's online or probably CDs, but you can listen to it at uh, iloveourchurch.com, journeyinourchurch.com, or the iTunes. It's on iTunes. We talked about Newton's first law of motion. And that was inertia. Remember, an object at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted upon by some outside force. And an object in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted upon by some outside force. And you might say, okay, I get it. I need to get moving. I need to be moving, but you, you're kind of a little paralyzed by fear like they were. And you say, what if I start moving and I'm moving in the wrong direction? That's a real fear. Here's what I would say. Just move. Just start. Because it's way easier to steer a car that's moving, right? And you might start off in a little bit off direction, but if you're trying to follow what God's doing and you're trying to obey Him and saying yes to Him, once you get moving, He can make those corrections. Just let Him. But just do something. You see, you've got to get yourself going by taking baby steps, by doing something small that makes the next step easier. It's like walking upstairs. You don't go from here to here instantly. You take a step. And it it stretches, it's hard, but that enables you to be able to then take the next step. It's like coming to church for many people, or it's like coming to celebrate recovery. I can't tell you how many times I have heard people say, the hardest part about coming to church, the hardest part about coming to, to celebrate recovery was coming across the parking lot. Just getting out of my car and coming across the parking lot. Because what they thought was in here was fear and condemnation and all kinds of other things because they had the wrong stuff going on in their head. They didn't realize that what was in here was hope. And, and what you need to do, that, by the way, that's why greeters, like parking lot greeters, are so important. It's like... I can't, I, I've had literally dozens of people, and these are the, just the ones who've talked to me, who said, yeah, the hardest thing was just to get out of my car and come across the parking lot. I've also had many people say, but I saw these people out there. They were smiling. They were welcoming me, and they were happy, and, and it made it easier. So if you were one of the ones that volunteered for the first time on Easter, you know, you can be a parking lot greeter any Sunday. We never have too many out there. It would be a great thing. So uh, that's important. But what you can think of, so maybe God's saying your thing is to go to CR. Your thing is, you know, this is your first time and you're going to start going to church and this is really hard or you might help somebody else with this and you say, I understand that just kind of coming into church for the first time is hard. So what you do is you take baby steps and you say, my first goal, I'm sitting in the car, the car's running, I know I should be in there. My first goal is to turn the car off. And you say, that's stupid, Tim. Three or four of the dozen people, dozens of people that have talked to me about this have said they literally sat in the car with the engine running and eventually drove away. Baby step, turn the car off. And then open the door. Don't worry about this yet. Just open the door and then walk across the parking lot. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about setting goals in which it's too small to fail. I can do this. I've turned my car off before. I've got out the door before. It's too small a goal to fail. Just take those steps. I'm serious. It starts small and it grows. You realize all through Scripture, things start small. And then they grow. It's like when Jesus talked about describing the kingdom of God in Mark um, 4, 31, 32. He says this. It's like a mustard seed. That's the smallest seed of all seeds on earth. Mustard seed, but when it's planted, 
It grows, and it becomes the largest of all garden plants. With such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. They become, they look like trees. The largest of garden plants comes from a mustard seed. You may or may not know this. The mustard seed is the smallest of all the the seeds. That's what it says. It takes approximately 750, okay, that's a big number, 750 mustard seeds to weigh a gram. It takes 28 grams to weigh an ounce. We're talking little. But this mustard shrub that grows from it, this annual plant that grows from this teeny, teeny seed, becomes the largest of all garden plants that provide shade for birds. It does all these amazing things. And it started from something so small, something little, like baby steps. Yet it grows into something great. So we think, well, if it's that easy, if I'm just taking these little teeny steps, why is it that so many people don't get there? Why do they find themselves five years from now worse off than they are now? Why don't they take those little steps? It's because so many of us do what Zechariah says not to do. In Zechariah, Old Testament prophet, verse 10 of chapter 4, he says this, Do not, he's telling us, don't do this. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. To see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. And so many people are like, that's what I needed to hear today. I was thinking about that today. About the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. And God loves to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. I knew that's why I came here today. You see, what's happened here is the temple was destroyed, needed rebuilt. From the foundation, even. Everything needed to rebuild, and it was an overwhelming task, and so nobody started it. Zerubbabel said, I'll do it. He'll start it. And it says that God, he he said, don't despise these little beginnings. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to even see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand, to stand there holding it. Nothing's done yet, but we're just starting. I'm holding this plumb line, and we're going to get started here. And here's how important that is. Earlier in this passage, it talked about like these seven lamps and these eyes and these weird things. And then it it tells us, here's what that means. The last part of that verse, the seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. Do you know what the eyes of the Lord in this passage are searching all around the world for? Somebody who will start. Small beginnings. He's not looking for somebody who will be this amazing... He's just looking for somebody who will take the first step. And he rejoices to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. And he will rejoice to see your first small steps, even though they're just like baby steps or little. He knows what they can accomplish. He knows what can be built because of that. It starts small and it grows because it's a God thing. That's what it says a few verses earlier in verse 6 of that chapter. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. You will not succeed by your own strength or by your own power, but by my spirit, says the Lord all-powerful. God's the one that wants to be able to do it through you. It's a God thing, but it will start small. And if we, if we don't see that, we'll miss it. See, we're, we're looking to choose big. When you say, who could I be in five years? I want it to be big. I pray that the you in five years looks back on current 2019 you and hardly recognizes them because you've come that far. 
And that goal and every step along the way will be by God's power and by God's spirit, not our own power. So we're going to dream big. We're going big, but to get there, we're going to take baby steps. It will be small beginnings. And we don't want to discount or despise or detest or deplore or dislike or deride or look down on small things because that's where God starts. So as you're beginning in this series to say, what could I be five years from today? What could I be? What could God be doing in my life? Where could I be? As you're choosing these goals that you're going to start now, these, these baby steps, um, here's four words of caution. I just put some lines at the bottom of your outline if you want to write these down. Here's the first one. Choose carefully. Choose carefully. Even though they're little, even though they're small things, some goals are more worthy than others. Some will actually have a cascading effect that will spill over into other areas of your life for good or for bad. We call those keystone habits. There's been a lot said about that. We've talked about this here before. We showed a video. There's one online of some major colonel, corporal, somebody, I don't know, general or something. And he has this thing online about um, his keystone habit is making his bed. And how when he, when he doesn't do that, it cascades the wrong direction. When he does that, things cascade in the right direction. It's a huge thing. It's like regular exercise. It's like we talk about daily routines, you know, the, the Jesus coffee repeat. You know, that it's a huge thing. I, have, I just want to mention a couple. I have a thing that actually talks about keystone habits, and they did a thing of the 12 most common, and I'm not going to read them all. We don't have time for that, but here's just a couple of them. These are habits that have a cascading effect. Family dinners, family meals, major emotional behavior and material impact when you spend that time together. And you look at it as, we're just eating together. But you look back on it over years, and you realize what it accomplished. That's a keystone habit. The second one is actually making your bed every morning. Um, they said making your bed every morning increases productivity with associated internal and external benefits. That's amazing. So make your bed. If you haven't, when you're done, go home and make your bed. Track what you eat. People lose two times as much weight who track what they eat compared to those who don't. Huge. Regular exercise. And we're not talking gigantic. We're talking a little teeny bit. Because what it does is it serves as a trigger to start doing more. We talked about that last week. It's a trigger to start eating better. It triggers a whole bunch of different things. There's a lot of different things that come into play with that. Um, One of the most important for me um, is positive thinking. Now, it's not like, oh, it's just the power of positive thinking. That's not what it's about. But here's what I absolutely know from my experience and from what the Bible teaches. If you think the wrong thing, you will become the wrong thing. We sang about that. The power of of thinking that. um, I talk to myself. And so do you. Okay? I even answer myself. People say, why do you talk to yourself? Because I'm the smartest person I know. (laughs) Not really. Here's the thing. We usually don't talk out loud, you know, to each other uh, or to ourselves. We, We can. It's okay when you're at home. I'd advise against it in Walmart because you just become entertainment for somebody else. Keep it to yourself when you're doing that. We say words to ourselves every day. And, and in this list, it said, it, it gave the average. 
and it said 300 to 1,000. And I thought, there ain't no way that I say 1,000 words to myself. And so I had to look it up to verify it because I didn't want to give you an incorrect statistic. And the actual statistic is they've done research on this, and one guy did an article and a book on it. The research, one research guy said inner speech, average inner speech, 4,000 words. And you think, that's a lot of words in a day. I'm sorry, it's 4,000 words per minute. And you say, there ain't no way that's happening. Yes, there is. Think about it. You're listening to me still. You're also arguing with me silently. You're, you're adding up words. You're doing like six things at one time. Nonverbal talking to ourselves is more than 10 times faster than verbal speech. And because we know ourselves pretty well, it's condensed. We don't have to use every word. It's like we talk to ourselves in shorthand. Can you imagine the power of 4,000 words a minute being said to you if they're the wrong words? It changes every one of our decisions. It changes our outlook on life. That's why it is so important to keep our eyes fixed on the right thing, to keep focused on the right thing, to keep thinking the right thing. Imagine how different your life could be if those words that were being said to you that often every minute that you're awake and even when you're asleep were positive? What an impact that that could have on you. Those things we say to ourselves consciously that we know we're saying to ourselves, that becomes the instruction set for our subconscious and our decision making. And we think, why did I make that decision? Because you've been telling yourself that for years. It's huge. That's a, those are small things. That's why I say the first thing here is choose carefully. Because some of the little habits you take that you take on, those little baby steps, those are keystone things which can cascade. So choose carefully. Here's the second thing you should do. Spell it out specifically. Spell it out specifically. You've identified or you're beginning to dream about what you could be five years from now. And we're starting to, to maybe go a little bit and one step at a time to get there. But whatever your one step is going to be in the coming days and weeks in this series, I want you to spell it out specifically. That means make a concrete plan. We're not talking about fuzzy language. Five years, I want to be closer to Jesus. It's like, good, what does that mean? That's not your first step. You might say, I don't spend any time with him right now. I'm going to spend five minutes every morning or every night with Jesus. I'm going to read some from his word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to see what he has to do with me. And I'm going to do that every day. And you think, well, that's little. That really won't amount to everything. Do it every day for five years. And you'll have a different tune to tell me. Because it will change your life. So we need to choose carefully. But we need to spell it out specifically and then, number three, you also need this. Track it diligently. You can't manage what you can't measure. Track it. Another way of saying it is if you're not keeping score, you're just practicing. We, we keep score. Write it down. We had in our family, my, my oldest son, he's wired this way. I can never remember a time when they were at our house, when he lived with us, that we didn't have some kind of a calendar on the refrigerator with X's on it. That's who he is. And you know what? It's inspired me and it's changed me many, in many ways. 
to have the list that I have to be able to keep track of certain things. Because when you don't do that, if you write down when you work out, if you write down when you have a quiet time, if you write down when you read your Bible, it causes you to keep score. And it will help you because you'll stay interested longer. Those of you who read the Bible on like a Bible app, and it tracks what you do. And so you read it and you check it off. I'm done today. And I read it tomorrow and I check it off. What it does is it says, you have a streak going. You've read for 35 days. And you're like, yes! And then you miss one. It's like, oh, i got to start off. You see what it's done? It's helped you. It's helped you as you keep track to do it. Now, there are habits that you'll keep track of for the rest of your life. Because they will help you continue with that. There are some habits that you'll start now that you'll keep track of that at some point you won't have to keep track of anymore. I don't have to have a calendar in my bathroom anymore with X's when I brush my teeth. I just do it now. But I do have things that I keep track of because it helps keep me motivated, it helps keep me interested, and it is absolutely life-changing to keep track of the small incremental steps that add up to the life you want. Because you'll look back in five years and you'll, you'll read those things you wrote. And first of all, you'll say, I can't believe that I was there. Because you're not there anymore. You're here. And you'll realize it was those things that did it. So you choose carefully, spell it out specifically, track it diligently, and there's a fourth. You've got to guard it aggressively. If you put those first three things in place, you're on the right track. But you have to guard it aggressively. You're guarding the momentum. Okay? You're guarding the movement. You're guarding the progress because you know where it's going to take you. Now, the bad thing is you'll miss. You'll falter. And here's what I need to tell you. Don't skip twice. Okay? What does that mean? It means there's going to be a day where you're not going to do what you said you were going to do. You sleep in, you get sick, you get lazy, whatever. doesn't matter. The, the truth is we all miss a day. We all do that. The temptation, though, will be, especially at the beginning, the temptation will be to wake up the next day criticizing yourself. I can't believe I'm so stupid. It's such a little thing and I missed it. And we talk ourselves out of continuing because we feel like a failure. And, and it's like, okay, fine, I quit. I'll start again next year. You know, better luck next time. And the problem with that is it's like we talked about momentum. You're an object at rest. If you quit when you decide to start again, you got to overcome all that inertia again. That's where all the energy takes. The best thing to do would be just double down your efforts and start a new chain. I only missed a day. No big deal. I'm going to start a new break. I got 30 days last time reading and I didn't stop. So this t- this, I'm going to break that this week. And you don't quit. You, just, you don't miss twice is what we're saying. So I don't know what God's going to call you to do. I don't know what he's saying. This is what you could be in five years. He might have just told you that I have an incredible purpose and I have incredible stuff planned for you. Maybe he hasn't told you what it is. But he's told you, but here's what your next step is. Because like those Israelites, you're not where you need to be for that five years from now. We have to grow you into that. And that takes one small step at a time, little by little. And so we're going to spend the next five years, little by little, growing. Doing what he wants us to do. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads as as we get ready to close in prayer. There There are many of you here that you're ready to do that. You're ready to take that those steps, you're ready to do those small steps, 
And what you need is you need courage to be able to remember here's what God's done for you and here's what he's going to do for you. But I know there's probably some of you here who have never taken that very first step. And the very first step is getting to know that God, the same one who freed the Israelites from Egypt, the same one who did all those miracles, wants to have a personal relationship with you because it's not about church. It's not about religion. It's a relationship with God through Jesus. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, Father, I know there's people here that they know you. They've stepped across that line from unbelief to belief. They need now to trust you. They need to obey you. They need to, to stick with what you say in your word and need to follow you little by little, step by step, so that they can be who you want them to be and accomplish that purpose that you have for them. And Father, for anybody who's never taken that first step now, as they listen here, may they realize that this is the most important step they've ever taken in their entire life. To choose life. To choose hope. To choose Jesus. And say, I don't understand it all, but I believe that what he did was for me. And I'm turning from my way, I'm turning from my sin, and I'm turning to Jesus, and I'm trusting that I can have a relationship with God because of Jesus. And as much as I understand of that at the moment, I accept it. I give as much as I understand of myself to as much as I understand of you at the moment, God, and I trust you. Knowing, Father, that that's the beginning of of incredible things that you have for them, more than they could ever ask or dream or imagine. Father, thank you for what you are doing here. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. Remember, the thing about uh, it not happening too fast because the wild animals would multiply too quickly, be too numerous, you know. Here's how God watches over and protects and prepares the best for you. The enemies, their enemies were taking care of the stuff that they were going to get. In the meantime, they couldn't have it because there wasn't enough of them, but they were taking care of the cities. They were taking care of the houses and chariots and all that stuff. They were keeping wild animals from overtaking everything and making it a wasteland until it was God's time for that step little by little, until they had grown and were ready for that step. God has more in store for you than you could ever ask or imagine. And if the stuff is hard that's coming down the pike, he will grow you and be with you every step of the way. My son, who does the checklist on the refrigerator, came up and handed me this afterwards. Um, quote, you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you that um, as we take these, this, these baby steps little by little, like you did for them back then, that you will be with us, that you will prepare the way, that you will go ahead of us, that the, these, these efforts um, will be by your power, by your strength, by your spirit, and that we will look back on, on what we accomplished, not because of us, but because of you. I just thank you, Father, for what you're going to do in people who say yes to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.